listeners, and welcome to episode 5 of the Rapid Ascent podcast. Got a big guest for you today, our first mountain biker. We've had a lot of uh, adventure sport athletes and running athletes, I guess, so far. So today, uh, really excited to bring you our first mountain bike guest. Um, he's a sponsored rider. He's none other than the Flying Dutchman, Paul Vanderplog. Now, Paul has a fascinating story. He suffered a massive injury at the start of this year in New Zealand, all set for a big season, and then next minute broke his femur. So he's got a really great story. I chatted to him immediately after the Redback Mountain Bike Stage Race uh, held in Alice Springs in late August, uh, only a couple of weeks ago, and he was fresh off his win. So he's pretty excited, um, but it was a really good interview. So thanks for tuning in. Um, Thanks for all your support and comments as well. Uh, If you haven't given us a rating on iTunes or Podbean, then make sure you do so. Just head to the iTunes app, or the Podbean app to do so. Really appreciate all your comments. We're averaging about 500 to 600 downloads per episode, so the interest has just blown us away. Uh, thank you very much from all the team at Rapid Ascent. But without further ado, here's episode five of the Rapid Ascent podcast with your host Ben Hucker and guest Paul Vanderplug. Paul Vanderplug, welcome to episode five of the Rapid Ascent podcast. Thanks, mate. Thanks for having me. Good to have you here. Now you're fresh off your multi-stage win in the Redback 2019. How did that feel out there today? I must add that we're in Alice Springs at the McCure Hotel, living it up here the last four days. You had a big, I guess, comeback from injury today and first stage win after injury. How did it feel? Mate, it was a pretty wild experience. Four days of racing. We've finished this morning with 45 kilometres of racing and... uh, yeah, I'm just stoked to get back to Alice and ride the trails properly. I was here two and a half years ago for a media trip and uh, we didn't get to see many of the trails. There was a few sections that I saw a lot of to do the photo and video shoots for, but it was nice to get a, a real feel for what they've got here. And that's your first Redbacks stage event? Yeah, totally. I've... um heard a lot about the Redback over the last 10 years that it's been going on and a lot of my friends and fellow competitors have done it and uh, raved about it but I've always been overseas this time of year like August is traditionally when we would race the world championships or it's just like the northern hemisphere summer so I've always been overseas and it's always been something that I've like had in the back of my mind that if the chance came up then I would do it so yeah, a couple of weeks ago, I got the all clear from the physio, and I was like, let's do it. And yeah, I'm stoked that I was able to get here. Yeah, it was great to see you here. You did come in very late, didn't you? It was literally probably the last fortnight when you actually confirmed that you'd be attending. So Totally. I think I booked my flights <coughs> last week, which yeah. is pretty standard me. I don't uh, <laughs> like to be too prepared. Not a planner. Well, you never know when you're going to break your leg, mate. So well, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. That might be a nice little segue into your injury at the start of this year. So, uh, for listeners, you broke your, your femur back in January of this year, or February, in New Zealand? Yeah, so start of February, training accident in um, Rotorua, New Zealand. Uh, broke the neck of my femur where it attaches into your hip, so it's classified as a hip fracture. And then also... Um, a non-displaced fracture of my fibula, so the non-weight-bearing bone of the lower leg. Is that good? It's not good. It's... Like, is that 
good compared to what it could have been? Uh, it was originally diagnosed as four different fractures. So it was meant to be like two fractures of the fibula and then tibula and fibula. So I was pretty stoked when they changed their diagnosis. But it did involve some pretty aggressive surgery to put in what they call a short gamma nail, which goes down the neck of your femur. And then there's a cross bolt that goes into like the actual ball and socket joint. So that helps to unite the fractured bone, essentially. So That sounds pretty nasty. <laughs> so you've got a bolt inside of you. Were you beeping at the airport when you came into Alice? Disappointingly, no. I didn't <laughs> beep. I was uh, <laughs> expecting the metal detectors to go off at the airport and... Yeah, nothing happened, and I was wanting to tell people that I've got like a gun-like shaped metal object in my leg, but uh, no, there's no no metal detector, and uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's a pretty solid injury. Like, I would definitely not recommend anyone breaking their leg. It mm-hmm. was brutal, and especially being overseas when it happened. Um, my girlfriend had to fly over. I had to call on many favors with friends to look after me for that week because you yep. can't fly and yeah it went from yeah being in hospital to being on crutches pretty immobile and you were obviously all set for a massive year of i think you, you said before when we were chatting you had a full list of uh, mountain biking events for 2019 all lined up yeah totally um, so it must have been a pretty shattering experience for that to happen so early in the year yeah i'd just come back from five months traveling last year racing all these crazy mountain bike events gravity enduro mostly um so different to what i started off with and then um and this is part of the as part of the giant team or yeah just through giant australia is my main sponsor but yeah like we or i had planned to really get stuck into racing and i was training for the first of the enduro world series event in rotorua and yeah, it completely unraveled all my plans. I had um, pretty much a race every weekend for three months, and that's as far as I would ever plan. And I was just really looking forward to racing, and then everything just unraveled as soon as the leg fracture happened. I mean, I was told by the surgeons that it would be a year before anything happened and uh, in terms of racing, but I guess I've got six months on and I'm yeah here you are winning the 2019 so, <laughs> yeah and dominating too. but a total shift in my focus for the year so I was doing gravity enduro which for people who don't know it's a format that's been constructed by riders for riders and it's not governed by the UCI or I think actually this year it's the first year it's governed by the UCI and it's essentially you've got a timing chip on your bike you ride around in the forest and then at the top of each mountain you've got a special stage which the timing chip activates at the top and then stops at the bottom mm-hmm. and then you can liaise back to the top of the next stage without any regulated time so it's a really fun format and something that I've enjoyed doing the last two years but because I've broken my leg I've reshifted back to cross-country stage okay. racing so yep. That's why I'm here at the Redback and it's less risky because it's more focused on your overall time from yeah. the start to finish. Like today we had 45 kilometers and it was two hours of racing, but you can really just flow through the single track because the overall time is the thing that counts. So less concentration or 
Just no, less, it's definitely downhill sections. <laughs> definitely not less concentration. With the Alice Springs trails, you have to be really switched on yep. because big boulders, big rocks. They're just totally different to anything that you ride anywhere else in the world, from my experience. I mean, there's a few places that are rocky, but it's like the loose surface of the desert and then yep. the rock that you have to... I mean, it's a fun challenge. You just have to ride according to those conditions. Yeah. So yeah. a little bit deceiving in sections, I guess. A few little washouts that you... Yeah. Today, I think at one point, my glasses fell off my head when I went over a drop, so I had to stop and get my glasses. But the most of the time, you're just trying to be super smooth on your bike, like as silky as you can through some of the roughest trail because maintaining your bike throughout four days of racing and like 200 kilometers of racing or whatever we've done. And at the end of the day, you're just like, I can't believe I didn't get a flat tire. That's me personally, because I'm... 100 kilos and riding through thousands of rocks so yeah i was just stoked to get to the finish without a mechanical oh good and <laughs> if we can go back to the injury for a second was that on your regular training run on a yeah, particular morning or it was race or? it was a pretty just um standard run going down i mean funnily enough it was a, a, a beginner trail almost like a beginner intermediate trail in rotorua came around a corner just in a pine forest, which the Redwoods have a lot of, and um, just washed the front wheel out, got into the corner, and then tried to stand the bike up by putting my foot down, and then actually high-sided me into a tree on on the full, like I had nothing slowing me down before I hit the tree. So it's been likened to a motor motorbike accident like the uh, amount of impact it takes to break your femur the actual impact yeah especially a femur of my size like i've got a very long your long legs femur. would be about four foot tall. <laughs> <laughs> well my seat height from the bottom bracket to the middle of the seat is 88 centimeters 88. Yes. but i've actually dropped it a centimeter since fracturing my leg because i can't get full extension out of my oh. leg so that's one small modification that I've had to make to the bike. I've put a dropper seat post on my cross-country bike because that's what I was using on the Enduro World Series bike. So yep. I've just got used to riding with the seat a bit lower. But for efficiency, you need to have that seat right at the um, 87 centimetres for, for me now. So you found that perfect point. Do you remember everything that happened yeah i didn't pass out and rotor was pretty popular so someone rolled down behind me and i flagged them down and i uh knew that i was in a bad way i was in a lot of pain and i said to him i was like mate um have you got any food because i was about to black out and he gave me some like fruit and nut mix from oh, yeah. yep. from his backpack and gave me some fruit and nut mix called the medics and then they got like a four-wheeler um medivac crew there's good response unit in Rotorua because it's a popular mountain bike destination and they stretched me out and had me in the ambulance um but the pain was insane like I was on the green whistle and then they put me on morphine then they put me on ketamine and then they put me on nitrous oxide and it was only when I got on like in the hospital with nitrous oxide that they managed to maintain like a level of so pain. Yeah, the you had this, the smorgasbord, I guess. It was a full cocktail Got in, nothing in New out of the, Zealand. Green, the green whistle? Nothing. I was in so much pain. I've never been yeah. in that much pain. 
And it's funny because people say, oh, I think it's been proven that you can't remember pain, but it's still pretty vivid. Like, pretty acute, yeah. Yeah, like that, that level of pain. And then the weeks following, I've never been so reliant on painkillers before. Uh-huh. Like I've broken my arm four times. I've had two shoulder reconstructions and the broken leg is by far the worst injury I've ever sustained. Yeah, it sounds very, very nasty. I mean, <laughs> most people sort of, you knew straight away, I guess. Well, it wasn't yeah, a I, case of, oh, that hurt a little bit. I, I said get that checked out. It I, was just total pain from the start. Yeah, I said to the guy who pulled up, I was like, I've broken my leg. And he's like, are you sure? But I was like, yeah, I have. Like, there's no other outcome of what what had happened so yeah but i've always had like a pretty high pain tolerance and doing what we do as mountain bikers you you're constantly crashing and scratching your leg or getting like a big gash in your arm or something like you just have to deal with that yeah you kind of i guess you get used to that as a mountain biker totally given that your speed that you crash at multiple times as a junior and then as a senior as well well i just grew up with it that's what i that's all i knew like i grew up Dirt jumping in mum and dad's backyard, building jumps. Full BMX or... Yeah, I was on... I had a sweet Hoffman Condor signature edition BMX after the the great Matt Hoffman. Uh And uh, I uh, built mountain bike or BMX jumps and did that. And then... um, Is it... This is Mount Beauty? In Mount Beauty, yeah. At the base of Falls Creek in the Victorian snowfields. So it was a pretty beautiful area to grow up and i think i appreciate it more now and then back then i still appreciate it a lot yeah and i remember dad saying to me he's like paul when are you going to get serious like when are you going to really focus on being an athlete and i said dad when i get to 15 i'm going to become a lean mean athletic machine and I was a little bit late on that. I yeah. um I got to fifteen and I was still a bit lazy, but then I think I might have got like fourth at um the national championships were which were in Mount Beauty. So yep. they're on my home trails. Cross country. Yeah. And yep. then that led to getting selected for like the mountain bike world championships in two thousand and six. So uh-huh. uh that was in Rotorua, funnily enough. So I've been riding there for 13 years and yep. uh it's it's bitten me a few times the first world championships experience i did too much riding at the red at the redwoods and then when we raced at the skyline bike park i um i was too cooked to to perform but it's just that whole finding the balance with those top level competitions yeah. and i was <laughs> over aroused like i was so excited and so nervous racing my first like international world championships that I almost crashed massively. In well, this. You're pretty excited at the best of times, <laughs> so I can imagine. <laughs> yeah, I think it was, we were, I rode mud tires and it started to dry out and then yeah. I got to the first downhill and I like crashed over the handlebars in a sheep paddock because the track went over the back of the um, gondola and into the sheep paddock and I was like, holy moly, like, get yourself together. And then I was 30th or something, but the Australian team had, like, really good riders. We almost got a medal in the junior riders. But I did win the World Sheep Herding on Bikes title in 2006. Sheep Herding on Bikes. Yeah, it was a unique event. I don't I was think... looking up your bio before this, and that wasn't on there. <laughs> I think it needs to be added. <laughs> it, it should be. Just like your, your yeah. giant profile. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, we uh, 
we beat the Kiwis and yeah. uh, we managed to herd the sheep while we were on our cross-country mountain bikes into a pen faster than any other nation. And it was just a fun <laughs> event. But yeah, the Australian junior boys won. So. Is that one of your proudest moments? Yeah, you? look, it's a highlight. It's a career highlight, that's for sure. <laughs> Up there with the 2013 World Cup. Oh, it's close. It's close. Yeah. yeah. Do you want to explain that one just for a brief second? The 2013 Eliminator, I think it was? Well, that's my actual career highlight. Yeah. 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 So, South Africa, World Championships. What age were you in 2013? Uh, 23. 23. So, pretty young. Well, I was was young and quite uh, talented and I probably didn't even realise how strong I was. I think the week before... I was racing road bikes in Borneo. So I was doing the tour of Borneo and I was, I think I got a yellow jersey. It was like a super fun event. And then I got food poisoning on the way from Borneo to South Africa. So the world championships were in Peter Maritzburg in South Africa. And I was going in there off the back of food poisoning, but still with good form. So probably got light in that week because of the food poisoning, but got to the event And it was just like a perfect storm. Like, I had a good time trial. So the Eliminator event, you race around a mountain bike-specific course, and it takes roughly two minutes to complete the course, and you do a time trial to start off. So you race the time trial, and then your time gets put into the system. And I think that year there was like 200 riders with the best in the world, like Nino Scherto. Yaroslav Kulavi, all the top guns were racing because it was after the cross-country Olympic format. Mm-hmm. And um, I got into the round of 32. I'd previously won a World Cup two years earlier, so I knew I was okay at this event. And then got into the round of 32. And then once you get into a round of 32, they divide you into groups of four and four riders go head-to-head on the course and you race the course and the top two go through and then the other two get eliminated. So then you go into the round of 16, the round of eight, and then, and then the final round. Uh-huh. So I kept progressing into the final round, managed to get into the final. And I had this cheeky inside line on the first straight where uh-huh. I was like, in the semi-final, I made this line and I went from third to first and I was like, oh my God, this line is amazing. Whereabouts in South Africa? In Peter Maritzburg, near, oh. um, it's like 500 kilometres south of Johannesburg and just up the coast from Durban. Anyway, got into the final and I told my coach at the time, I was like, I'm going to go inside again, no matter what. Like it was a little bit grassy, but it could work. And got a bad start again, was in third wheel, sprinting my guts out, and then managed to slide in, two-wheel drift, get into the front position, feet still on the pedals. I was like, holy moly, I am now leading the World Championships final for the Eliminator. Bombed through the rock garden, over the jumps, and then there's like a big open sprint, and I came out of one of the corners and like slipped out the back wheel, clipped back in, the guys were right on my wheel, and then we got into the last straight, and I just like sprinted with everything I had. And when I finished, 
I just couldn't even believe it. Like, it was insane. Like, to beat the favourites that had been racing these Eliminator events all year, I hadn't done any, just come out of nowhere and win that UCI World Champion jersey. I was just like, this is insane. At the age of 23. Yeah, and... um, And this is an open category, so it wasn't under 23. No, it was was an elite elite, Elite uh, UCI jersey. And I actually got... Um, well, you get given like a UCI rainbow jersey. It's the same one that you get if you win the road race or same one if you win a track event. It's the exact same jersey, but it has a mountain on the front. That's the one you can wear at national championships and things like that. Well, I went on to wear it the whole of 2014. So they had a full World Cup eliminator circuit and it it was just an insane experience. I was overseas... Um, just with the backing of Giant Australia, and they. So fun- you were sponsored at at this stage. Yeah, yeah. just uh, I went from <clears throat> racing uh, Olympic format cross country on a World Cup team to just riding for Giant Australia because I wanted to be more casual and more open with my racing, so I could choose my own schedule. So in 2014, I stayed with Giant and I just rode the uh, full Eliminator World Cup circuit. And I was actually leading the overall World Cup series based on points. So I got like heaps of podiums and stuff like that. But it was just like a super fun year. And yeah. it was it was interesting because that year, the um, IOC, the International Olympic Committee, were looking for another cycling event to bring into the Olympics. And Eliminator was put forward by the International Cycling Union and they were like you should take Eliminator because you can use cross-country riders and use them in both the Olympic format cross-country and the Eliminator Mm -hmm. so you don't have to have more people in the um, Olympic athlete village so it was um, it was pretty devastating midway through the year they announced that they weren't going to use Eliminator so you would have been there otherwise well they I would have had to qualify to be in the Olympics. But a pretty good chance of qualifying. Yeah, for Rio, I think it was going to be the first yeah. eliminator. But it was, didn't happen, and that sort of made me lose interest in it. So, okay, in yeah, format. Yeah, I mean, there's still a world championship for eliminator, but it's it's a very much a sideshow event. It was really building, like in those like 2011, 2012, 2013 it was building into like a new Olympic event to go because it's so spectator friendly. Like yeah. you're, you do a time trial and then you're going to do four new races where you go head to head and you're actually like knocking people out. Like people are yeah. pushing each other into fences. Like it's really physical and only two minutes. So that actually gets physical as well. Yeah. I've been pushed into fences. I've been taken out. I've had like Nino Scherter come on the inside of me intentionally taking me out in races because it's just like the desperation to get in front of people is so significant because if you're not in those top two places in the qualifiers you're you're eliminated so you're done but yeah it sounds like a good television concert (laughs) maybe (laughs) i can revive it that way yeah my friends because i was studying at university doing sports science um in melbourne and all my friends who i went to uni with would log on and watch Red Bull TV and um, watch all the Eliminator races because they were 
genuinely interesting to watch. And because they knew me personally, they were like, oh my God, this is amazing. Like you get to see like me on live stream and (laughs) and see me racing against other people and it's two minutes. So you get like a result really quickly. Whereas the Olympic format, it takes an hour and a half to watch. And Mm. a lot of people get bored watching it. toned down. Yeah. So... So to this day, is that format still a thing? Mm. The ICU, but just the Olympics not interested? Um, yeah, so I think the UCI still have um, a world championship event, which happened a couple of weeks ago, and the organisers messaged me and asked if I would come. Oh, really? But it's yeah. still, like, a pretty small event. Like, it's not a prestigious mountain bike event. And for me... Um, I went from winning that world title and having that year in the rainbow jersey. I went on to the road. So I raced with a couple of domestic road teams and had fun doing that. And then um, and then I switched to the Gravity Enduro mm-hmm. and then snuck in a cheeky uh, national title in cyclocross as well, I'm which is um, <clears throat> a very fun format that I would love to do more yeah. of. So it's um, well, it's a very popular format for the Great Otway Gravel Grind each year after the Otway Odyssey, the GOG. It's a very exactly. popular event, so you can kind of bring any bike you want, but that cyclocross category is getting bigger and bigger. Yeah, the gravel, the gravel discipline is growing exponentially It because people want to get off the road yeah. and they want to get into the the nature and these really beautiful natural roads, just like in the Otways where the... Um, the great outway gravel trials and you actually get some pretty smooth dirt roads totally worn out yeah logging um, trucks and all the rest over time so i've recently got myself a giant revolt which is like a specific gravel bike and uh <clears throat> i've had a lot of fun while i've been recovering from the leg injury i've been doing some bike path and gravel riding just to stay off the road to reduce the risk of any incident injury cars you know like gravel riding i think it's kind of like a necessary future for cycling because there's more cars on the road there's more aggressive people it's massive in europe too isn't it yeah in belgium it's been a thing for years and years and years yeah cyclocross specifically has been huge and then also like gravel riding now is getting crazy big and also in america i've got a friend who's just done like a 200 kilometer gravel race and she won it and um, she's just frothing like racing gravel bikes and yeah. there's like Dirty Kanzer and uh, like all these alternative events yep. that people are discovering and, and doing for a challenge. But I think we've got like, uh, there's a gravel national title coming up in September, which I'll, I'll enter and throw my hat in the ring, I guess, and see how that goes. But yeah. for me, I'm not like built for that anymore. My body is naturally... Uh, developed into a hundred kilos and like I'm still at five or six percent body fat so I'm not like a fat hundred kilo person I'm still quite lean um, super lean yeah. but to have that power to weight I have to put out crazy powers and now that I've got yeah. this um, leg injury which is reducing my power output it's hard for me to really get to that like power to weight numbers that you need to be competitive in these climbing and races yeah and back to the injury for one second. Um, so it's 
from what you were saying before with the you know the UCI and the the World Cups and the World Championships, there's a lot at stake for riders like yourself that are sponsored and you know rely on cycling and mountain biking for an income, don't you? So your mindset after the accident in Rotorua, where was it at? Were you thinking, I'm done, I'm finished? Or I know you kept it pretty positive on social media and uh, everyone had quite a few laughs of you <laughs> in yeah, hospital getting yeah. the full smorgasbord. And... Totally. I mean, I was putting up pictures of me topless with crutches on and that sort of thing. But I mean... Was that, that, uh, was that an act? Was that... Nah, I mean, it was... It was actually how I was feeling and yeah. like everything's pretty honest with my social media. Like I don't try and sugarcoat stuff too much. And then I think two weeks in, I realized that people thought that I was all good. And then I put up a post saying, I'm not all good. Like actually, I'm, I'm, it's pretty bad. Mm. Um, and I think for me, I, I put on a big mask, like definitely don't expose how I'm actually feeling I was devastated like there's yeah. no two ways about that like I love riding my bike and to be told that you can't ride your bike for at least three months you're on crutches like you're lucky that you're at this level and also was told by orthopedic surgeons that I'd never race competitively again and never, never race again yeah like I was sitting in the hospital in Australia and and uh, like an orthopedic surgeon was saying to me that, yeah, like I'll never competitively race again. Like you won't get the power outputs or whatever you required. And my girlfriend was sitting there and she was like, oh my God, are you sure? Like, and I was just like, for me, I just completely shut that out. Like totally blocked that out. And I almost used that as motivation to to train harder and make sure you're like uh two weeks after i broke my leg i was like crutching into uh Kiza, which is my local gym and getting onto the leg press Within machine two weeks. yeah and yeah. i was like lifting my broken leg into position and using my strong leg to do the weights yep. so there's new studies now that say that training the non-injured leg actually transfers to the injured leg so my injured leg was completely safe and not under any load so it was it was like just doing single leg work but just like working on my left leg quad and all of the other muscles in my body like working on my back and core and yep. making sure that like my shoulders and everything was strong and I guess I was just using that as like a, a maintenance slash strength and conditioning phase so when I came back to riding I could I could start riding again and I mean, for me, fortunately, uh, with Giant, they've got a new range of e-bikes. So I had a city e-bike and I had a uh, mountain e-bike, which I could use. And I was very cheeky uh, riding an e-bike three weeks after I'd broken my leg. Three weeks? Yeah. I, was, I sort of cracked uh, so two weeks on crutches. Or... I was on crutches for three months. I'm walking frame. Three weeks of back riding. <laughs> this is so... unbelievable. <laughs> well, this is the world's fastest recovery. The broken it, it wasn't as fast as I'm making it stand. I had yeah. to get a step through city e-bike, and to get onto the bike, I would like literally lift my leg through the step through yeah, frame. Like a small crane or something. And the way that the pedal assist e-bikes work is. As long as you keep the motor 
activated so it's pressure sensitive, I would use my non-injured leg to pedal the bike and then the injured leg would literally just be going through the motions of riding. And it's a safe range of motion that the leg was going through and no load, like absolutely no load. And because I'm a professional bike rider, I didn't feel at danger of crashing or anything like that. So I had the crutches in my backpack. So I'd pull up to like (laughs) a cafe or something because I'd go and meet someone for a coffee because trying to keep sane, keep social. This is in Melbourne? In Melbourne, yeah, yeah, where I'm based. I'd pull up at a cafe and then I'd have to like hop around, get the crutches out of the backpack (laughs) and then like get to the the cafe table. I couldn't walk, but I'd ridden there. So (laughs) it was totally... Totally bizarre. Yeah, that would be quite a sight to see you riding up and then <laughs> yeah, I put not up, being able to get off your bike. I put up a video of me on St. Kate, St. Kilda Beach, and um, oh, yeah. I had the crutches out the back at sunset, and I was going to meet my girlfriend for dinner, and it was just like. So you're based in St. Kilda. Oh, I'm based in Ivanhoe, so oh, an, an hour yeah. ride from St. Kilda on an e-bike. So yeah, right. <laughs> that's why it was even more weird. Yeah. No, I moved to Melbourne. Um, so I lived in Mount Beauty for 18 or 19 years yep. and then moved to Melbourne uh, in 2009, so 10 years ago. What's spurred to move to Melbourne? Is that Just, university? Yeah, completely life? university. I did did my whole high school and then I was on the Australian development team. We went to Italy for three months and then I unfortunately got glandular fever, which is kind of pretty common for young athletes and then just because of their fatigue and oh just three months of intense racing calendar yeah. and with those programs a lot of people get burnt out so i raced uh based out of Varese, and we did a whole bunch of swiss cups and world cups and finished with world champs and in 2008 it was beijing olympics so world champs was in june or july or something like that and then i went back and worked in mum and dad's ski shop to so mum and dad obviously your old man's Dutch yes he came out to Australia van der Ploeg the Dutch name yeah you say it with the full Dutch accent (laughs) van der Ploeg (laughs) (laughs) you have to sound like you've got uh, a loogie in your mouth or something (laughs) dad will be very I just have to wipe wipe the um, spittle from the the microphone there (laughs) no and uh, yeah dad was 10 when he moved uh, over to Australia I think what year did he come out not too sure like 63 years ago I guess so oh, yeah. after World War Two, I guess so. Yeah, yeah. and then Mum was uh, born and raised in southeastern suburbs of Melbourne in Dandenong. So yeah, they met. Uh, they were both teachers. So all right. Yeah, I was actually studying to be a teacher at university, um, and then I had to change to sports science because yeah. I couldn't do the teaching because I was always overseas. So yeah, right. you can't do your teaching placements when you're racing mountain bikes overseas and probably uh, a good pathway into I guess what's next for you beyond mountain biking cycling if it was all over tomorrow what what what's the future hold for Paul van der Poel? oh uh, it's a great question I've thought about this over the years or over the last few months of recovery um, I'd love to start up like a really professional skills coaching business not just for mountain bike, for cycling in general, because I see there to be a demand for that, especially in Melbourne where I am. Like anyone who takes up 
road cycling or gravel riding or e-bike riding, any of these um, cycling disciplines, the fundamentals are all the same. So I did a course which was um, a Canadian-based course that they teach in Australia, um, born out of Whistler Mountain Bike Park, and they, they teach you how to teach bike riding because I've had heaps of people over the years come up to me and say, oh, like, could you teach me how to ride? And I'm like, no, I couldn't teach you how to ride. Yep. And then I did the course, and now I definitely can teach someone how to ride a bike. And the key to that is being safe and efficient. Yep. So reducing the risk of any sort of injury or anything like that. Yeah, so... It sounds like there'd be plenty of demand out there between cycling and mountain biking, two hugely popular sports in Australia. Yeah, definitely. In Europe and North America and Canada as well, so... <laughs> Could do um, it anywhere. Yeah, could do it anywhere. <laughs> Online classes. Yeah. But obviously you want to continue rolling with Giant. Have you got plans to re- return to the EWS or... Not at... focus now as cross-country? Yeah, you know, I mean, the stage of... races like the Redback are kind of what I'm loving doing at the yeah. moment. Um, Private uh, events, good fun. Yeah, and just really just like grassroots. And there's people here like... We had Lucas here, who's like a 13-year-old. He's come to Alice Springs. He's never raced a mountain bike race. He's here with his mum. He's hired a bike. Incredible. And he's finished all six stages. And we waited at the finish and cheered him home today. And I just get so touched by that sort of thing. Because he's just like absolutely in over his head he's gone over the handlebars yesterday and crashed and he's got back up and he's just gone and and ridden it and like so many stories out there like that and i mean doing a little bit of um the flow mountain bike stories this week it's forced me to talk to people that i probably wouldn't have talked to if i was here just racing and focusing on racing so yeah that's been really cool and that's that's kind of i'm a super social person so yeah if I'm coming to these events and you get to catch up with everyone or talk to people. It's, it's yeah, really nice. Yeah, it's one thing that's blown me away the last four days is we've got elite sponsored guys like yourself and Roland Adams has been there in elite cycling as well. Uh, a few of the, the local NT boys are just killing it, like Ollie Hartung and Henry Hackett yeah. and a few others. So, yeah, to see the diversity and then you get a 13-year-old like Lucas... You've never been on a mountain bike, I don't think, prior to the Redback. You hide the bike. Yeah. His old man's buying him a bike as a present. Yeah, how's the deal? He's got a deal with his dad that if you finish this ridiculous mountain bike event, which I'm struggling to finish as a professional, that his dad will buy him a bike. And look, let's hope that uh, Lucas gets a bike out of it and continues the passion. I think the old man will... Hold the promise, hopefully. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it's cool to see the locals, totally. Like, we rode um, with Henry over the last four days, and it's. I'm sorry to say that we gave him a few hard lessons this yeah, week. Yeah. Um, I heard he had a few issues at the water points. Yeah, he, he, to... he wanted to stop for water, and Rowan wanted to attack. And, yeah. I mean, when you're in the heat of the race, it's kind of like, well if you can't get your bottle and continue racing, then it's bad luck. But then, yeah, I felt sorry for him yesterday because he was riding really well. And also today he's, he's riding well, but I mean, four days of riding and you get a bit tired. In the time trial on, um, on Friday, 
I caught him in the first, I think he said I caught him within six minutes. So he had a 30 second buffer, but I was hunting Rowan. Like I've known, (laughs) I've known Rowan for 15 years. We've been, he's been coming to Mount Beauty to train in Mount Beauty for uh, 20 years or something. And we've known each other forever. So there's a bit of a friendly rivalry that we've uh, we've been playing out this whole week. And I was very happy today (laughs) when uh, I got a massage yesterday from one of the local masseurs. JP sorted me out. And then um, today I felt a million dollars. And when Rowan was setting a high tempo to try and crack me... I was smiling behind him because I knew that he couldn't crack me. That was a massage. That yeah. was a difference. Well, I was just so locked up. Like, my injured leg had completely fused um, by the end of yesterday's stage. So, today, yesterday was 42 kilometers and t- today was 45 kilometers. And they're very manageable distances. Like, we're not talking 100 kilometer races. And I guess that's why this event is, yeah, so good for people who aren't professional riders as well as people that are but yeah like we were riding together Rowan and I were riding together this morning and then I saw him slow down a little bit and then I just whacked him because I knew (laughs) I knew that he was cracking and uh yeah the desert's a pretty harsh place if you go over your limit you need to be yeah there's no shade to stop him (laughs) (laughs) you can definitely cook the goose pretty easily unless you can find a little you know rock somewhere like totally it's gonna be pretty dry (laughs) i was just happy to get to the feed zone get a fresh bottle have a gel and i mean this week it's been key to keep on to nutrition and the way that stage racing works you have to eat to be prepared and recover for the next day so i would always have three or four energy gels throughout the stage and make sure that I'm fully uh, replenished uh, through the stage and then also recovering, make sure you have the right things after. Yeah, I was going to actually mention like in our prior four episodes, we've talked a lot about nutrition and maintaining health with with, uh, runners we've had so far on the Rapid Ascent podcast. How, How important is nutrition to you? Well, for mountain biking, it's incredibly important. You're riding it, um, essentially. Not just get on your bike in the morning, take home. No. It's, <laughs> it's super important. I kind of have it as second nature, so I don't think about it too much. It's it's an automatic process for me. I'm like, okay, we're going into a race. You eat like pasta and heaps of veggies and like really healthy diet coming in, and then when you're at the race, you eat your normal breakfast. So. Uh, muesli or whatever whatever you like for breakfast nothing too too heavy and then when you're racing i would either have like an energy gel with caffeine at the start line so like a second coffee i call it (laughs) and then um every half an hour to 45 minutes i'll have a gel and i'll have electrolytes you're pretty strict with that yeah so today was two hours um i had gel on the start line and i had three gels during the race but i'm 100 kilos so my demand is higher than someone who's 65 kilos so there's there's a lot of light like i think rowan weighs 68 kilos and he was laughing at how much nutrition i would have to take to maintain um energy levels and then i had one 750 mil bottle at the start line and then I swat, I switched for a 500 mil bottle, but it's been surprisingly cool in Alice. So for people who aren't aware of the climate here in Alice Springs, it gets down to five or six degrees in overnight. And yeah, then by, 
by eight o'clock, it'll like or eight thirty when we're starting the race, it's fifteen degrees, so it's just crisp, but the sun's up, so it's warming. And then throughout those next two hours or three hours, it'll get up to twenty-two or twenty-five degrees. So it's perfect, perfect temperature yeah. for racing mountain bikes. So I was surprised at that actually. Yeah. Um, I expected it to be hotter. Someone told me it was thirty-five degrees last week, and I was like, oh. Didn't yeah, last Saturday it was 31 degrees for Run Lara Pinta. <laughs> that was a hot day. That was tough. Yeah, we were... Well, I mean, I think it's relatively common at this time of year that their yeah. max temperature is just like a perfect 25 degrees. Yeah. So that's, I guess, why Rapid Ascent does the Redback at this time of year. Escape the winter is a pretty Escape good... Escape the winter. Pretty good tagline for me. Melbourne, Escape I think... the winter blues. <laughs> <laughs> I think in Melbourne last week before I came... Uh, I did a race in Cairns and then I came back to Melbourne and then that's when I booked my tickets to yeah. Alice Springs because I was like, there's no way I'm going to stay in Melbourne. It was horrible. And the um, southern states have been miserable. Yeah, raining and cold and you're wearing a rain jacket and booties and yeah. leg warmers and full length kit and a, like a buff or whatever around your neck yeah. to keep you warm. So to come here and be in Nixon jersey is just such a delight. Yeah, it's um, it's still quite a contrast. It's like very cold overnight, hot during the day. So you can be cooking at sort of midday. You guys have finished. We started at eight thirty. You guys are it's, done at ten thirty. It's good for sun baking around the pool in the afternoon. Yeah. That's for sure. And that's something else that I've really enjoyed about the Redback. We've had um a lot of time in the afternoons, which if you do a normal stage race you might have to travel to another location or shift accommodation or whatever. And to get to the start, I literally roll out of my bed at eight o'clock and I'm on the start line at eight Oh five. So for <laughs> me, for me, I was pretty chill with uh, rolling to the start line. And I mean, yeah, I'm just, I'm a pretty casual guy, but yeah. it's, it's nice to have that. Yeah. It's buffer. definitely one of the features. And even the start today, it was only a couple of minutes away. At the local high school, so perfect warm up really for me. I was like, oh yeah, yeah, stretch the legs before we uh, exactly just roll out. Yeah, so we touched on e-bikes a little bit before. Um, we had quite a few, probably a dozen e-bikes getting around today in the last four days. What's your opinion of e-bikes at mountain bike races in general? Do you think they should be segregated and left on their own, or do you think they're they're a part of mountain biking now? Oh, look, I definitely have it on the record that I've really enjoyed this week uh, with the e-bikes involved. Uh, Simon Coffin and a new friend, Scotty. Uh, I think Scotty's like the veteran e-bike national champion. And Simon, yeah, Simon was um, on the podium or close to the podium at the national championships in Bright where they had the e-bike title. And those boys are really fast mountain bikers and technically strong but they both work full-time jobs so they're not as fit as they would be um boys from the total rush store in melbourne aren't they yep yeah and um they're they're both really good riders and i've had so much fun riding with them all week and it was super fun today i had a good battle with simon and because e-bikes are restricted at 25 kilometers an hour They've got their strengths. So in single track or a single track climb, especially like I'm not riding over 25 kilometers an hour, like I'm not a machine, but that the motor can kick in and really help them on those sections. 
But when we got to an open, slightly downhill fire road, which luckily for me there was a few of, I can boost it over 30 or 35 and I could get a gap. So it was a really fun battle. And all, all through the week, it was a really fun battle. And I mean, I think... So it pushed you? Yeah, it pushed me a bit today. And uh, I think for me, as it gets bigger, it'll probably have to get separated but it's pretty casual here in Alice Springs, like everything. Um, it's yeah. it's very relaxed. So having the e-bikes in with the normal bikes worked quite well. Yep. Um, and I think we've also seen another range of stories. There's people who've had like knee reconstructions and stuff like that, and they're riding e-bikes, and they would never ride this event if they didn't have an e-bike, and they would not ride at all. And I've got, um, my mum's just had like a full knee reconstruction mm-hmm. and she's got an e-bike and loves riding it and uses that for recovery. So there's this whole thing there's about... a whole different purpose. Yeah, yeah exactly. Well, as you said, you were back on an e-bike within a couple of weeks. Yeah, I used it. I used it when I fractured my leg. I loved using it. Um, for me personally, I still want the challenge of having a pedal bike and I'm fit and able and I want to do that but if e-bike racing gets more competitive I'll I'll probably dabble in it um just for fun because you yeah. it's like yeah just this super grin inspiring format uh yeah. when I've ridden the guys e-bikes here just when I've had to like run over to grab something from the cafe or back from the cafe or something it's just like putting and the turbos it's it's free speed it's <laughs> it's, it's, it's coffee's by the time you get back exactly exactly um no but i think that's been really interesting this week and i mean those guys work full-time as i said so they're not yeah. training yeah. but they're they're mates with us so they're wanting to ride with us so it's allowed them to ride with us for the fast fit guys and then other people who probably don't have the they've got health issues or something like that they might have like a cardiac arrhythmia for example Mm -hmm. and it takes the strain off your heart so you can actually get out there and ride yeah so any e-bike haters out there you have to probably be a bit more open-minded because it's one of those things that you have to yeah peel back the layers and really think about why people are using e-bikes or um don't be super negative because they're just out there having fun like yeah, everyone else. Don't be quick to judge. Exactly. Yeah, so it's, I'm guessing you, you might need an e-bike up around Mount Beauty. Quite a few big hills and well, that's, do you get home much? That's the other thing. People use e-bikes to shuttle themselves to the top of a downhill run. I know Josh Carlson, who's a giant factory off-road team rider, he uses an e-bike in Wollongong on the escarpment. And it means that he can do double the amount of vertical meters to do his training on the tracks to ride more trails in less time. And he's also got kids and a family man. So he's just using a bike to go up and down and uh, self-shuttle, I guess. And then in Mount Beauty, the hills are massive. One of the local mountain bike legends, Joel Pinozzo, who used to be world cup downhill racer he uses his e-bike to go and do self-shuttled runs in mount beauty so there's that whole extra element to you can now ride up to the hill without completely exhausting yourself so you can have more fun on the downhills 
Yeah, so, so many, many advantages. Well, I mean, it's funny. There's going to be so many people listening now <laughs> that are like, I'm going to switch the podcast off. <laughs> like, I've heard enough from Paul and Ben. This I'm is an absolute wrong. disaster. <laughs> but, I mean, there's no two ways about it. E-bikes yeah. are here and people are going to ride them and I think just be open and positive just like with everything in life like you just there's no point being negative and hating on people when they're just out there having fun well it's good to get your take on it so we'll just let the e-bike wars roll on for the time being (laughs) (laughs) uh you've done the red back you've ticked that your first red back I think your second ride in the NT or the Alice Springs yeah you did a promo once with Flow magazine I think that was about two years ago You've also done the Otway Odyssey, another one of our events, and Bike Buller. What, uh, what was the appeal for the Otway Odyssey? And I should mention too that we're launching entries in about a month or so for both the Otway Odyssey and Bike Buller leading into next year. Can't believe how quick it's come up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the whole year gone already. So, Which seems crazy. What's, what's the Odyssey mean to you? Well, the Odyssey is one of those iconic events on the Australian calendar. It's one of the only real true marathon events left. Uh, I was talking to Rowan about it earlier, who's a keen marathon rider. And uh, I grew up in Mount Beauty, as we've said. And I remember Dad trying to like get in the lottery to get an entry for the Odyssey because it was so okay. prestigious yeah. back when it started in Apollo Bay and then uh, finished in Forest. And I did it on the original course and I had a nightmare race. So I'm talking nearly 10 years ago now. And uh, I had a huge bowl of muesli, like massive. I stuffed it in and then I looked at the clock and I was like, oh God, you've really taken casual to a new level. It was 15 <laughs> minutes before the start. And I think I was like two and a half kilometers from the start line at a mate's uh, beach house. And I got to the start and I knew that I'd overcooked the muesli. Completely Not stuffed. Not a massive bowl of cocoa pops. No, it was, it was like Pop real muesli. heavy muesli, like <laughs> oats and everything. And that's actually worse. I would have been happier if I had cocoa pops at this yeah. stage. Now that I know what I know. And I'm going up the first climb and I'm just like micro spewing muesli into my mouth and trying to eat it again because I'm like, I need the nutrition. Like I can't spew because I'll lose that like potential nutrients. And I was a junior and I was like, this is a disaster. And I got like 30 kilometers in and I just felt so sick. And it was a, it was absolute nightmare race for me. I think I'm not sure if I finished, but the torment of the first 50 kilometers i've almost blacked out the rest of the race yeah. but i did come back Just with scarred for life yeah first, first well run. not scarred for life because i came back with redemption and i think i've got third on the new course and fifth on the new course as well as another year where i might have got a mechanical but the year i got third was pretty special i was um racing with Adrian Jackson, who's a big supporter of the Rapid Ascent events, and he's a great marathon rider. I think his mum was riding... Yeah, I think... Yeah, yeah. They're here. They're here. Um, Adrian Jackson's parents. And then, essentially, AJ and I were just in this huge mission to try and catch uh, Chris Jongawad, because he's 
obviously yeah. a notoriously fast starter. He dropped us in the first a loop. Seven-time winner at the Odyssey. Yeah, he's he's a hard man. He's a hard man to beat. So we got uh, I think seventy kilometers in, and we'd been hunting Chris since the first loop, and we got to the red carpet climb, and oh. I was sitting there with AJ. We're we're both on our limit. And I looked at AJ and I said, mate, if you've got anything, just go. Because, like, you could potentially get Chris. We were within a minute and a half or something. Like, we weren't... We were in for a chance, but it was, like, a one in 2,000 or something. Chris is probably an Olympian at this stage. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) No, well, we... Yeah, we got to that climb and everyone was like, he's only one and a half minutes or whatever he was. And I was like, AJ, just go. And I was uh, 95 kilos and AJ's 65 kilos. So there's a 30 kilo difference. Yeah. So when it's power to weight, uh, a climber like AJ can just, just ride yeah. away. Yeah. And I was cooked. So I nursed my way into third. So, I mean, I've had some really, really good experiences, which I've just mentioned. And also some bad ones like the mechanicals or the... Yeah. the the late porridge eating. <laughs> can only imagine that on the side of the tracks. And... But hopefully I can get back into some form and have another yeah. crack. Well, 2020 maybe have a crack. Is it uh, March or something? Or? Uh, the Yachtway Odyssey is mid-February. Okay. Year, so yeah. probably about the... Oh, and then Bike Buller's March. Oh, yeah, got it confused. Yeah, bike Buller is the March Labor Day long weekend. So Bike Buller... You've done that a few times. I've got very good memories. That's quite a. That's cross country. It's enduro. It's downhill. It's a bit of everything. Well, it was on the calendar for this year, and I think they had the first ever race on the Epic Trail. And the Epic Trail, which yep. I saw the Nankervis brothers won. Yep. I'm I think sure. they've nicknamed that the Nankervis Cup. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's an Nankervis on- boys, and then it, it's they on. Won. It's an ongoing battle. Um, no, so the Epic Trail was something that I wanted to race uh, this year and I was working working my way into some form to, to be competitive and a month out I broke my leg so I was pretty devastated and it was a big um, Shimano event uh, this year with all the gravity events and stuff like that. So... Yeah, I've had I've had some really fun experiences with the the, the cross country. I've I've loved racing the cross country. Um, I think I was like the XC Whippet champion one year oh, yeah. at Bike yeah. Buller, <laughs> and then um, also the gravity events. I think I was on the podium in the gravity enduro and um, trying to fight out for the gravity gods uh, competition. So a bomb downhill, and then the outlaw. Time uh, three timed runs, I think yeah, it was. It's, uh, the second of the third ones on Sunday. I forgot what it's called. Yeah, it's like the it's like a brake burner or something like yeah. that. Yeah, it was it was super fun um, and just totally different experience. So I think the yeah, like the the cool thing about bike buller is it brings a lot of people from different backgrounds yeah. and it's got a cool atmosphere. Um, and a new addition is the Highline Slope Style Comp. Yeah. And the World Cup event has been added for Bike Buller in March next year. Yeah, right. What's I'm the World Cup event? I'm not sure event? if that's been announced, announced officially. <laughs> we'll wait to drop the podcast <laughs> until that's announced. We may have to edit this section. <laughs> I know the guys at Buller are pretty excited about that. So. Yeah. Can you tell me about it or are we not sure? Uh, the, about the event itself? This World Cup event. Uh, the Well, the Highline Slope style. Yes. Obviously, guys on... 
I don't think it's BMX. It's yeah, yeah, it's, on mountain bikes. it's dirt yeah. jump mountain bikes. Yeah, I saw it actually. I think the year before yeah. maybe. Um, yeah. Created a lot of attention and brought probably five hundred riders from that otherwise wouldn't have come for yeah. all the mount, different mount, various mountain bike stages. But pretty spectacular on video. You know, if we get the drone up next year and get the images out there, then it'll be spectacular, especially as a World Cup event. Yeah, that could totally. be a thousand riders just there. Oh, and people wanting to see that sort of level of competition. I yeah. watch every uh, slopestyle competition throughout the year at Crankworks and whatever highlights you can find on yeah. YouTube. I'm a bit of a slopestyle junkie because I find it very impressive. I think there was an event only about two weeks ago, wasn't it? Crankworks, yeah. In Canada? Yep. So yep. Amelia Hansen, uh, some Scandinavian rider, was coming back from injury. Another success story of of epic proportions he threw down like just some insane run with all sorts of flips and yeah. bar spins and spins I have to and... look it up obviously <laughs> we can't show it on the podcast <laughs> look it up it's it impressive amazing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's um yeah definitely a, a new addition and a very valuable addition i think for bike buller so we might yeah. see a bike buller 2020 create, as create well. the party um, maybe the Odyssey, maybe Bipolar. What What is the plan for, for next year, 2020? It's a great question. Um, I just hope I can renew my contracts and um, continue being... Giant sticking by? I, well, I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> no. Hey, <it's>... Giant. <laughs> <laughs> no, and just, uh, yeah, just trying to maintain my lifestyle as a cycling yeah. bum. Um, yeah, I think the racing that i do is always just based on whatever i enjoy doing at the time yep. so i'll continue doing a bunch of stage races and i think more racing in australia because it's just like more relevant to my sponsors and everything like that um a bit more media stuff as well i hope yep. um i've been enjoying you got a massive following instagram and oh it's not massive but it's yeah a few <laughs> people follow me but it's also just about like creating media for Australian mountain bike companies and I just enjoy doing it. Um, yeah, I was on the advertising campaign for the Ride High Country yeah. region in northeast Victoria. I think we had a 30-second TV commercial screening throughout the Tour de France um, yeah. this year, so three weeks. I was on billboards for uh, the Melbourne airport when you pick up your bags really? at the Melbourne airport. So I flew back in from Mexico and I, I flew... I think you have made it in life <laughs> when you're on a billboard. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so... I mean, those sort of things are really cool and I enjoy doing them. And a lot of other people <clears throat> wouldn't enjoy doing them because, say, for the Ride High Country job, uh, it was 14 full days filming, but over a one-month period. So you have to have a fair bit of flexibility to be able to do that sort of job. Um, and so, there's also yeah. there's a six-minute extended version on YouTube of all of the locations we mm -hmm. shot at, which is spectacular, but you have to have an invested interest in watching cycling. Yeah. Because, yeah. I've seen the footage myself. It's pretty spectacular. It's such a beautiful part of the world. So... So you, do you work day to day? Are you, you're fully reliant on Giant and oh, look. media and <laughs> appearances? And... I'm quite reliant on uh, my sponsors. I kind of couldn't do what I do the way that I do it if I didn't have 
like if I had a job, sorry, like, yeah, there's no way that I could yeah. maintain employment at like... And you choose to do that. Yeah. Like, that's, I, yeah. I mean, I just think that as cliche as it is, like life is super short mm. and if I can maintain doing what I'm doing um, yeah. and having fun and enjoying making spontaneous decisions and racing any race that I want to do, that's kind of yeah. what my focus is at the moment. But I mean, that'll change as I get more mature, which I'm waiting for, <laughs> I'm waiting for that to happen. Uh, it's great to see someone following their passion. So I guess the red back is a good example. You know, you booked your flights a week ago and you got the ability to do that. If you're not yeah. Monday to Friday. Well, I just didn't know if it would be possible for me yeah. physically. <clears throat> and I did a test event uh in Cairns a four-day mountain bike race and then I was like oh uh stuff it I'm gonna do it and yeah. give it a risk and to be fair like my leg wasn't 100 percent I've been and it sounds like a bit of an excuse and a weird one because my fitness is actually way better than it's been over the last 12 months because I was doing something completely different with the gravity enduro you don't need aerobic fitness to do what I was doing last year you need to be really technically strong mm -hmm. so to be stronger than I was before I broke my leg feels strange but it's actually like the physical pain and the sensations that I've got in my leg so a lot of people are funny with injuries as soon as they see someone racing and they're like oh you're fine yeah. you're totally no problem like you will be a hundred percent ready to race and it's yeah. like well I'm still nursing an injury, as strange as that sounds. I like, still have a steel rod in my hip. Yeah, and you have to keep in mind that the doctor said I wasn't supposed to race for a year. Yep. Like, And that was meant to be the timeline. And it's only because of working with companies like Kiza, who've helped me with physio every week and going into the gym twice a week. And I guess that comes back to not having a job. I've got the freedom to do all of the things that I need to do to try and get healthy again which is a yeah. massive luxury and super appreciative of everyone who's backed me i guess yeah a lot of backers and a lot of supporters out there so you're married no i've just girlfriend. got a uh, a lovely girlfriend chloe and we live together in melbourne uh-huh and <clears throat> yeah not married but probably should <laughs> <laughs> hello chloe <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well, well, we'll let that one rest. <laughs> uh, Paul, it's been a fascinating insight. Um, Are we out of time? Conscious of the, We're not out of time. We could keep going. If no, I think we're good. <laughs> yeah, it's been brilliant to chat with you. And we must add that it's, we're barely three hours out of the, the Redback stage finish. Well, you finished about 10.30, didn't you? So yes, I'm been a few hours, but... I'm a little bit slower than I normally would be. <laughs> struggling to construct sentences, but yeah. Uh, it's been been great to have you in for a chat um episode five of the rapid ascent podcast any final words of wisdom for any young mountain bikers out there listening that want to pursue mountain biking as a career or cycling look i think the key is to just get out there and do it and consistently ride your bike and get into a good routine of a healthy lifestyle because yeah there's so many people who easily find excuses not to go out and ride or even run or do anything and uh it's super fun and great for your mental health and your physical health and being a sports scientist and studied the health science world i cannot recommend 
it enough. And I mean, yeah. most people who are listening are already converted on being physically ath- athletic or active yeah. and just uh, make sure you're enjoying what you're doing as well. You shouldn't be doing it and thinking this is a chore because there's got to be something else out there that's not a chore and you're actually going to enjoy. So it's a mindset of enjoyment first. You shouldn't be out there thinking about national championships and World Cups and things no. like that. <laughs> Maybe as a visualisation piece, but I don't think enjoyment I ever... first and foremost. And also keep it social. If you've got anyone else that you can uh, exercise with, go hit them up and do it together. I always train and exercise with friends because it's way more fun when you're with cool people like here at the Redback. We had a good crew and we were just talking absolute rubbish anytime (laughs) we weren't racing our bikes and we're also talking trash when we were racing our bikes. So yeah, make sure you keep it social and that's going to be a good way to keep you engaged. Absolutely. Um, Fun, first and foremost, and I did notice that you were kind of, there was a lot of banter at the end of each stage, especially with Ron. A lot of trash talk, especially with the e-bike riders too, yeah. yeah we, <laughs> there was an internal battle, the pedal bike versus the e-bike, but in good fun, and I, yeah, yeah. those guys are awesome, so. Yeah, fantastic. I think very good advice, uh, Paul Vanderpool. Um, I'm not going to do the Dutch version. No, it's too, too complicated. <laughs> Thanks very much for joining us today. It's been brilliant to have a chat with you. And all the best for the remainder of 2019 and 2020. Thanks very much, mate. Cheers. It's been a pleasure. Thank you.